0: Sharing the word today is my dear wife Athelia. You know, uh, uh, it's been a joy uh, 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 um, uh, seeing her work on work on the word uh, for this week. So let's give thanks to God for the word that He's going to bring. Take, um, let's, just, let's just give it up uh, uh, for today's sermon.
1: All right, I think I blanked out there. <laughs> I thought you didn't pray. All right. Um, okay. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I'm Athelia. Okay, it's good to see everyone uh, of you here, and yes, I'll be sharing uh, the sermon for today. So, my sermon title is "God Shows No Favorites." Uh, we are continuing, or rather, we are drawing to the end of our first season uh, of our Acts pulpit study. How many of you kind of like, uh, have been enjoying our study in the Book of Acts? You know, I think we've camped out in it for months already, right? Uh, we are reaching the halfway point of Acts. And so, uh, this will be the second last sermon. Next week, there'll be one more. And then, uh, we'll take a break. There'll be open topic. We'll go into a mini-study of the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. And then, in the second half of the year, I think it's in July, we will pick up the, our study of Acts, uh, and we'll finish the, the second half of it. Okay? So, yes, we are now in uh, Chapter 10 of Acts. Okay, now, this fella is uh, quite a doozy, this whole chapter. Let me show, let me show it to you. See? Uh, okay, it's going to take a while. Uh, when I select, when I, when I picked this topic, right, I didn't realize um, how big it was. Uh, you know, Pastor Fergus just showed me the, the list of topics, and I was like, oh, Peter's vision. I know, I'll, I'll pick it up. And I looked at the text, and I realized, like, it's very long. <laughs> In fact, right, this is the single longest narrative in Acts. Uh, it actually goes from ch- the, the whole chapter 10, and then it goes into half of chapter 11. Okay, but we won't look at the chapter 11 part, because it's just too long. So you see right? this whole wall of text. And uh, we usually try to read the text that we are studying, but because it's the whole chapter, we won't. Uh, so I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how we can break this chapter down into different sections. And then from each section, we'll read selected portions. OK? Oh, OK, so here, this is how you break it down. So that was the chapter 10, the whole chapter 10. And these are the sections, color-coded, right? So you have six sections in total. I've used a different color for each of them. Let me just uh, walk you through each of the sections. So the first section is. Cornelius' vision from verse 1 to verse 8. So it's a vision. Second section uh, is the Apostle Peter's vision. Am I supposed to click the sides or? Okay. Okay, you know what, right? My deck was so huge that I think the, the broadcast team were like, wow, I think our computer might not even be able to handle it. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's lagging a bit. So the orange section is. Uh, is The Apostle Peter's vision, right, yeah, um, is verse 9 to 16. Then after that, in pink, we have Cornelius' men. They go to find Peter. They meet Peter, and then they bring him to Caesarea, which is where Cornelius is waiting. So that's a part. And then when Peter reaches Cornelius, they have an exchange. They talk, which is the whole part in purple. And after that, Peter preaches a sermon That's in blue, verse 34 to 43. And lastly, in green, that little section there is what we call the Gentile Pentecost or baptism. Now, if you all remember, in uh, Acts 1, there's what is called the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on the believers, right? So there's actually a second Pentecost here. And we call it the Gentile Pentecost. And after the Holy Spirit falls on everyone, um, they all get water baptized. So, This is a breakdown of the whole chapter, you can see, color coded. And now we'll go and read selected portions from each part. Okay, let's go. This part in yellow Cornelius' vision. All right, so the story starts with a Roman centurion called Cornelius. Okay, Uh, let's read. Yeah, let's read this, okay? There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. There are two different Simons here. eh? Okay. And so after this, uh, Cornelius calls his men, he tells them what to do, and he sends them to Joppa which is about 30 miles away. So now we go to Peter's vision, Okay, We're going to read it. The next day, as they, the day here is Cornelius' men, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof at noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down and being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What? God has made clean, do not call impure. So this happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So, now we'll go to the third section, which is when Cornelius' men arrive at where Peter is, and uh, find him, talk to him, and then they bring him to Caesarea. Okay? So, uh, we'll read one one verse from this section. I don't know. Not more. Okay, more than one verse. Okay. So while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius stood at the gate. They called out asking if Peter was lodging there. The Spirit told Peter, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They say, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. So after this, Peter goes with them. And he reaches Cornelius' house. And there he sees a large crowd of Cornelius' Uh, friends and family and they meet and they talk Okay, and here's what Peter says to them Peter says to them you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for So, may I ask why you sent for me? Okay, so after this, they talk some more. Um, Cornelius explains to Peter about his vision. See the part in darker purple at the bottom, which we won't read, you know, because uh, we read it in the first section. It's essentially almost like a word for word. Okay, so Cornelius explains what he sees, and this is what Peter has to say in response. Okay, Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Okay, so after he says this, he goes on to the second last section where Peter delivers his sermon. Again, we won't read it, but uh, I think we've gone through several of Peter's sermons previously, and very similar content. Okay? And after, or rather while Peter is giving his sermon, in the middle, the Holy Spirit falls and fills everyone there in the room, which is that section in green. And I think we'll just read one verse. Um, We'll read part of it here. So while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. All right. And so, you see, we have walked through the whole of chapter 10. Um, I hope that gives you a picture of the whole story and the narrative. And uh, you've been able to follow along, and you kind of like get an idea of what the whole story is, okay? Uh, I'm going to take a time now to just pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the word. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, give us uh, attentive hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. And um, help us to hear your voice and be sensitive to the promptings of your spirit. So Father, I just want to commit each and every one of us into your hands. Be with us as we uh, seek to learn and to draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now we can finally start on the sermon. (laughs) Okay? Now, from this whole story, there are three points that I would like to talk about. Okay, and they are this here. So the first one is breaking walls, and I suppose we'll look at the question: now. Are Jews more special? The second point will be keeping laws, which is yeah. The question we'll look at is: Are the Old Testament laws irrelevant? Okay, and the third question is living right, which is the. We'll look at the question Does our righteous living matter? Alright So these are three points We have breaking walls We have keeping laws And living right Okay Let's go to the first one Breaking walls Okay We'll look here At verse 28 and 34 Again I'll read it right Peter said to them You know it's forbidden For a Jewish man To associate with Or visit a foreigner but God has showed me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Now, I truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Okay? Now, let me explain this a bit. Okay, the Jews at that time, they took separation very seriously. Okay, their laws, as you see here, forbade close contact with those that they considered unclean or impure. And that includes all non-Jews, or what we call Gentiles. Because this contact would contaminate them. And if they're contaminated, they cannot enter the temple to worship in that state. They would have to go through this ritual ceremonial cleansing to restore their purity before they can enter to worship. And in practice, you know, it just meant that socially and um, they rarely mingled. But I want to show you an example of how serious this was to them. Okay. Uh, over here, we have a picture of a warning inscription from the temple that stood during Jesus' time. Okay, the second temple. Now, if you ever go to Istanbul, uh, who's gone to Istanbul before? But if you ever go, you can actually see it in the... Oh, you did, huh? It, you, you can, did you visit the archaeology museum? Okay, so if you ever go, you can see it there, in, this, in the Istanbul Archaeology Museum. And the text is in Greek, okay? And here is what the inscription says. No foreigner is to enter within the railing and, and enclosure of the temple. Whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his own death. Quite serious, right? So basically what he's saying is, you trespass at your own risk. If you die, it's your fault. We told you already, don't enter. And so these warnings right, were posted all along a barrier. Okay, I have here a picture of um, illustration of Herod's temple. And you can see the court of Gentiles is where they indicated. And then inside in the middle will be all the other courts. Huh? There's a court of Israel, court of women, court of priests. Um, I think, yeah, a few other courts. And if you remember, right, in the gospel story, the court of Gentiles is where Jesus drove out the money changers and all the traders from the temple. So that would have taken place um, yeah, there. So the signs were been posted along the side there. You can see there's a barrier. Uh, and they're written in both Greek and Latin. So it's very explicit who they're there for. Okay, it's, to keep non Jews out, uh, non-Jews out. Okay, I'm gonna take this off and tell you um, in Acts 21, we actually see an incident play out. So, what happens is a mob sees Paul at the temple and they accuse him of bringing Greeks into the temple area, you know, out uh, past, past the court of Gentiles into the temple area, and by doing so, defiling the holy space. And they tried to beat Paul up to death over it. Okay? And the only reason why Paul survives is because a Roman commander, he hears the uproar, and he sends soldiers to break up the mob. We'll look at this incident more in our second half. You know, when, we, when we reached Acts 21, I think we will, we, will, we will look at more detail. But it's worth going back to read and see, actually, how enraged the crowd was over this perceived violation. So they go crazy. And so it shows you, right, that you really don't simply mess with their boundaries. Like when they say, don't contaminate, don't cross, they, they, they take it seriously. I think you'll also be like, okay, right, scared, right? Except that this, that's precisely what God is doing here in Acts 10. He is removing these dividing lines, right? He's bringing down these barriers. You see, right, the ancient Jews, they believed that they were born into covenant relationship with God. It's an ethnic privilege that they have. And, you know, that they were moving towards final salvation. As long as they did not outright break all the commandments, they were safe. So they considered, we are in. And the rest of, you know, everyone else was out just by virtue of their birth. But you see that in the Gospels, Jesus pushes back against this idea that they were automatically saved over and over again. Okay, let me show you. In John 8, when the Pharisees are saying that our father is Abraham, you know, we, we are saved. We are um, part of God's chosen people. And Jesus actually tells them outright, no, your father is the devil. Because if you were Abraham's children, you would be behaving the way Abraham does. And because you don't behave like Abraham, you could not be the true children of Abraham. Okay, so Jesus' point here, his emphasis is that belonging to the family of God was not something that you're automatically entitled to just because of genetic lineage or you know, just because you happen to be born in the correct family or the correct race. And he shows that He's always wanted to include others. That has always been his agenda. So if you go further down into John 10, he talks about how, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, but I must bring them in also. Okay? And even in the Old Testament, God has always, his heart has always been, my family is not just you know, the direct descendants of Abraham. But I want to open it up to include everyone. In Isaiah, he tells him, right, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. He says, I, have, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So that has always been God's agenda. Lastly, I... Paul later on describes it in, in, in his letter to the Ephesians like this. Okay? He says, there's a whole bunch of text here, I'm going to read. Formerly, you who were Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in Israel and were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his own household. So I think we can see here that a very clear characteristic of God's family or household is the lack of hostility and division. Okay? Instead, there's peace, there's oneness, there's unity, there's harmony. And so, because God has torn down the dividing walls of hostility, and you wonder whether Paul was thinking about all those temple notices, right, when he was writing this, because God has torn this down, because God has removed it, saying that these things no longer exist. I think that we should also um, follow suit and examine where we can do that in our own lives. You know, whenever that you see a wall of division, when there's hostility, we say that no, God's call on us is to break down these barriers and to bring peace and unity and oneness. So that's my first point. God has broken down walls of division so that we may all be at peace with one another. Okay? And so I'm going to move to my second point now, which is keeping laws. Are the Old Testament laws irrelevant? Okay? So for this, we'll look at what God is doing when he gives Peter that vision. What is happening here is this, like this. Okay? Up until this point, Christianity, still a very young religion, was still considered to be part of Judaism. It's a bit like a branch or a sect. And so, um, it's kind of like under, under the umbrella of Judaism. So what it means is that if you were a Christian, you were also a Jew. Or rather, uh, you were first a Jew, okay? Um, now, the first instance where this wasn't so was uh, in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. I think Pastor Felix preached it two two weeks ago, right? So that's the first time it's like, oh, a non-Jew has come into this faith. But over here, through Peter's vision and experience, God is establishing something new. He's saying very clearly that Gentiles do not have to become Jewish. They do not have to adopt you know, the dietary restrictions, their men do not need to get circumcised, they don't need to follow all the practices and the laws in order to follow the Jewish Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying, right, that membership is open to all without having to fill these requirements. And you have to understand how big a thing that is at a time Okay, and it's an issue that actually crops up over and over again in Acts and elsewhere. And so we will go into it. Like, Why, why is it such a big thing? Like? Okay? And so I won't spend so much time into it uh, on it now. But instead, I want to take this uh, opportunity to address a few things about Old Testament law. Okay, the first one is this. Uh, um, there is a misconception that in the Old Testament, the law was given to save Israel. So you follow the law and then you'll be saved, right? Now, this is not true, but first, let me just be clear and define. When we say the law, what do we mean by that? Okay, so the law is the Torah, and what's the Torah? The first five books of your Bible, right? Can we name it? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, these first five books in the Bible is called the Torah, and collectively, it's known as the law. So this law is given not to save, but it's to mark them out as saved. Okay? I think I have a slide for you. Yes. See, it's to mark them out as safe. The, both the Old Testament and the New Testament follow the same pattern, okay? And the pattern is this, that God, in his divine mercy actively rescues his people and then it's only after he rescues his people that he gives them a new way to live right they have a slide here for that so is this always God rescues first and then he gives a new way to live so this principle needs to be foundational in how we think about God that God's character and his overall actions remain consistent across the Bible Okay, Because I often hear people say, like, oh, Old Testament is different, New Testament, you know, the, like, um, they're not the same, uh, God is different in the two Testaments, you know. No, that's not true. God is consistent, His character remains the same. And so let's look at it. In the Old Testament, when I say God rescues first, how does God rescue His people? Where are here. Yes? True? The exodus from Egypt, right? That's the big one. He rescues. He goes to his people. He, he rescues them from slavery. He brings them out. He redeems them. He sets them free. And then he calls them. He makes them into a people and a nation. And then he gives them the Torah and says, this is how you are to live, right? Right? And in the New Testament, who is the rescuer? Yes, okay, this one. <laughs> yes, Jesus, right? So Jesus comes. He goes to the cross. He dies, you know, for our sins. He's buried and raised again in order to rescue us from death and corruption. And after he saves us, he gives us a new way to live. So, you know, sometimes you hear this, right? They say, like, oh, the New Testament is all grace, and grace, and grace, there and are no laws. Uh, also that's not true, right? there are plenty of laws okay, maybe we don't call them laws but there's plenty of instructions that he gives on how to live you know, the, the epistles are full of codes of conduct okay? and just on the top of my head actually I just sat down and typed out a bunch of things yes, here, here are just a bunch of examples you know, that I grabbed up. Okay? what are some of the commandments love your neighbor as yourself pray for those who persecute you submit to authority in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. Do not gossip or slander. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. When you give alms, do not do it for public recognition. This is another one. Rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. and Clothe yourself instead with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And we can go on and on and on. Okay, but My point is this the purpose of these commandments, these laws, or these codes of conduct in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is so that we may be marked out as distinct, as separate, as set apart. And this is important. Okay. Now, a second thing that I'd like to address is um, how Christians are to relate to the Old Testament laws. Okay? And this is the reason why I there are some Christians who try to apply the ceremonial and civil and sometimes even dietary laws to um, today. Okay? I don't know if you've experienced that. But let me give you examples. I've heard some who say that uh, we should avoid eating pork. <laughs> How many of you heard that? <laughs> no? Yes? Yes? Yeah? If you've been around long enough, you hear it, right? Oh, you should avoid eating pork. Okay? Or you shouldn't mix meat with dairy products. And they read health benefits into holding these kosher practices, right? So I actually know of someone who believed, uh, I don't know if they still hold this, but they they believe that if you put your parmesan cheese on bolognese sauce, which is your dairy and your meat, right, it can lead to health problems such as cancer. And they actually hold these kind of things up. And another thing they also say is like, oh, you know, uh, we should continue to practice uh, male male circumcision on our babies, right? They say like, actually, you know, it's uh, uh, medically beneficial, uh, it's even more hygienic, you know. They read that kind of benefits into it. uh. Uh. To which my reply is this, uh, you know, just teach your child to wash himself properly. uh. (laughs) You know, don't need to cut, (laughs) okay? Um. Another example is that the idea that the proper day to go to church is on Saturday. Now, obviously, we don't hold this up like, because we're all in church now on a Sunday, right? But uh, the reasoning is this. Like, because the original Jewish Shabbat is Saturday, and that's the, that particular day is the day that God declared as holy, right? And so uh, the proper day is actually Saturday. Like, and I know of someone who actually left their former church over this, to go and attend a church that was just more correct or more proper. Okay. And I've even read, actually, a very, very long argument about how uh, we should not use the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is Greek; is the Greek name. You know, it's a Greek rendition. Um, and actually, it's got pagan origins. And so if you use it, you, know, you are calling the wrong name They're calling the wrong God. And so if you want to be absolutely correct and absolutely sure that you're addressing the right God, you should just use the original pronunciation, the original spelling, and say Yeshua. Okay? I see some of you nodding because you've actually heard this, right? So people actually try to take these things very seriously. And that's why I want to take this chance to say, like, SB Church, I want us to learn how to smell some of this. More questionable theologies, right? And to know better than to go like, oh yeah, maybe uh, sound, sounds, sounds reasonable. Yeah, maybe just to be safe, we should, we should don't, 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 don't say Jesus, I uh, say Yeshua, uh, you know, like, you know. Okay? I would say that. Actually, Paul, right? He writes the whole of Galatians to deal with this very issue. Okay, so uh, of still trying to follow OT laws and practices and customs, you know, and he actually gets very worked up over it. So it's actually quite fun to go and read. Okay, at one point, he he actually he I think he's so exasperated he cries out like, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" Which is saying like, "You crazy ah," you know, there's this modern day translation, "You crazy ah," why you want to do like that, right? And he goes on to say, "This this is a very central verse, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek." slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Okay? And what it means is this. In Christ Jesus, King Jesus, we are all equal. And we are not to elevate any particular culture or language or ethnicity as being more true or closer to God, right? He doesn't show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who... Fear him and do what is right. Okay? So that's the first error. But the second error that I want to address is this. Lah. Okay, It's a bit like the opposite. And it's something that I actually hear quite often. Uh, sometimes in sales when I visit or elsewhere, I hear it said. It goes something like this. Lah. Usually someone will say... Uh, I'm so glad that we're not under the law anymore, okay? I'm so glad that we don't have to keep it anymore, you know? Like, uh, so difficult, so troublesome, uh, so restrictive, uh, impossible, you know? They say, like, uh, Israelites couldn't keep it, you know? If we had to follow it, it's like, oh, aren't we so blessed that we are free now, okay? Don't need to follow. And uh, I want to say, please don't say that, okay? Why? Firstly, is because I think that it, it runs the risk of taking a very kind of like dismissive and condescending tone towards something that is actually still part of God's word. Okay? And I want to say this. Love. We should never look down on any part of scripture or dismiss it as irrelevant. Okay? As Second Timothy says here, all right? All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All here means all. So every part of the Bible is useful. Every part of the Bible is God breathed. Okay? And because God has included it in our Bible, we need to take it seriously. Yeah? Okay? It's not there, as I said, right? It's not there like because of oh, outdated manual just put in there, like, there's a filler, you know, like, oh, I've, um, God wants to pad the Bible so that it's thicker, and it looks more impressive, you know, and just, just put it there, like. but actually uh, it's not important. It's like terms and conditions that you just click accept, right? <laughs> don't, don't read, right? Um, that's, that's not the approach, that's not the attitude that we should have to it. Uh. And instead, we, we just need to know what is the right approach to take when we engage with it, what is the reason God has when he includes it And it's okay to say This part of the Bible is hard I don't understand it okay? But there's always room to learn and to grow And say like, okay I don't understand Leviticus I find it confusing, I find it difficult But I trust that there is a reason for it And you make it part of your personal growth Part of your journey To say that I want to learn I want to learn how to appreciate it you know, I want to learn how to see why it's important. I want to see why God uh, put it there. What purpose it has for my life? You know, and with that approach, you know, Sunai Buloh Church is committed to engaging all parts of the Bible. Last year we did I mean, all the difficult parts, also right? Last year we did Song of Solomon. This year we're going to do Ecclesiastes. I know Pastor Fergus has plans to do Job, and um, I've been campaigning for a while. Yeah, yeah, so I saw and I like Job. Yeah, yeah, maybe next year. Okay. Um, uh, I want to do a a leviticus study you know because i think that this is the part of bible that people are just like difficult hard boring right you know and so let's 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 tackle these difficult things together and learn and grow and find good and beautiful things in it okay but while we are still learning and growing you know i i want us to have this uh, approach this attitude of when we think about our scripture when we talk about scripture that we do so with humility and reverence and not be like, oh, this part not important. i uh, boring very You know, like, not important. And, and dismiss. You know, let's not, let's not dismiss our scriptures. Let's take it seriously. Okay? And so to summarize, when it comes to Old Testament laws, so the right approach is this. We're we? neither to, like, copy and paste it for today. Neither are we to dismiss it with disdain, you know? Instead, we are just to find its purpose and how what the continuous application is for us today okay and this is a topic that we will continue to you know we'll revisit, re- revisit and continue to uh, teach and preach on okay but i'm going to recap our first two points before i get into the third and the final point so the first point was breaking walls the second point was keeping laws right and the third and last point is on living right. Does our righteous living matter? Okay. So as we come to this point, I'll go back to the story of Acts 10. And we say, if you pay close attention to the whole narrative, one thing should stand out. And it's this. Cornelius's piety, which is his good works, is repeatedly highlighted. Right? Right? Okay, let me show you where. Yeah. In verse 2, it says, He was a devout man. He did many charitable things, deeds for the Jewish paper and always prayed to God. After that, in verse 4, it says, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And verse 22, it's described as a righteous and God-fearing man. And lastly, in, 30, in verse 31, it says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So it's very clear, right, that Luke repeats it so many times because he's emphasizing it. What are we going to make of this? Yeah, I see some of you kind of like sit up a little bit like, yeah, this is a bit strange, right? The thing that kind of first thing that stands out is this, right? Cornelius is 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 made clear he's not a Christian. But God hears his prayers. In other words, right, God hears the prayers of non Christians. And how does that make us feel? I think for some of us, it can make us feel quite uncomfortable, right? For we might have been taught elsewhere that God only hears the prayers of Christians. Okay? And some of us might be like, wow, this is great. I'm thankful. I'm happy. Because we all have loved ones who are not Christians. And isn't it great that when they call out to God, God hears them? I think we can see this very clearly in Scripture, right? That God hear, heard Cornelius' prayer. I'll say this. We don't know what Cornelius was praying for because it's not recorded. But based on how God answered him in such a divinely way orchestrated way, right? You know, through the vision and then he gives Peter a vision and brings him together, you know, so that they can have that encounter. We can, I think, reasonably suppose that God was, uh, Cornelius was praying for an encounter with God. He was looking for God to reveal himself. And the biblical text is clear here, that God heard his prayer and he answered him. And partially because, or rather because of the way he lived, because of his righteous living. Okay? And I'm going to speak on this. In fact, I want to speak now to all of us Christians here because we can be very uncomfortable with the relationship between faith and works, right? Because I think that this this is an area that's just maybe a little confusing, um, not very well taught sometimes. Okay? So I think very standard is we say, you know, it is not our works that save us, but faith. And i affirm that. Okay? But I want to suggest that maybe sometimes the way we frame it, and sometimes the way we set up the, uh, or define the terms, uh, may not be the most helpful, and then that's why it leads to some of this confusion. Now. okay. And so I prefer to think sometimes of, instead of faith and works, uh, the words I like to use Is maybe beliefs and actions Okay So beliefs here is equivalent To our faith, like what we believe in And actions will be Like our works, what we do Okay So we're always taught we're not saved by actions Now even in this text I would say that, that It's clear that Cornelius' good deeds Does not save him But it does lead him to an encounter with Jesus Right so, what role does his good deeds play? And it certainly plays a big role, okay? Because Luke emphasizes it and he, and he actually says that God heard his prayers because of his good deeds, right? And yet, our Christian tradition insists that it's faith that saves us, not works. It never works, okay? And I think it's exactly this way of speaking about faith and works as separate things that I think is un- unhelpful, okay? I say I drew a little diagram here. And I said, like, are faith and works mutually exclusive? Can we talk about them as separate things? Okay, and I think the problem with this, framing it this way, is that it assumes that what you believe, i.e. your interior world, and what you do, which is your exterior world, right, they don't overlap. That's why I so saw there's that, that division, right? Faith, your belief, what you think, what you believe, in your heart, in your head, in your mind, all that, um, is separate from your actions, the things that you do. So we say, like, oh, they're separate, they're distinct, they're not part of the same whole. You know, there's no overlap. They're not integrated. Now, is this assumption correct? If you if I frame it this way, it's like you think about it. It's like, does that make sense? no right no when I frame it this way you go like actually yeah how can you think one thing and then do something else right and I think there is actually enough scriptural support to show that this is not the case so uh, I'm going to walk you through some verses but it, I would say this like, that how you conduct yourself how what the things that you do especially after conversion absolutely does have an effect on your eternal destination okay and let me walk you through some of the scriptures first one is Romans 2. Okay, I'm going to read it. It says here, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth. While obeying unrighteousness. Now, just a comment here. Number one, this, Paul is writing this very clearly. It's not about kind of like eternal rewards and all. It's talking about your eternal destination. Okay, this is your final destination, eternal life. And also, Romans was written to believers, people who were Christians. Okay? another text you can examine actually here is Revelation 20, right? and it says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works, by what was written in the books. Okay. So it says here, everyone is judged according to their works. Okay. Lastly, a very key text will be James 2. Okay, I've condensed, I picked out, you know, uh, three verses, which I'm just going to read now. Verse 14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith, or my own words, can such belief or can such assurance save him? It says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Some translations say, faith without works is dead, Right? Verse 24, it says, You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And so how are we going to process process all this, right? I think that this is what it shows. uh. It shows that we are actually called toward an integrated way of living where our beliefs, our words, and our actions are aligned. In fact, I think the Bible shows that if you believe in one thing, or you say you believe in one thing, but your actions say something else, you have to ask yourself, right, then, are you saved? Okay, it would appear, and I've shown you all the scriptures, right, that the biblical writers did not see confession, profession, and actions as being separable. In fact, there are several places where they show that if what you profess, if what you say, what you confess, and the things that you're doing, the way that you're living, they do not line up, um, that's a big problem. Okay, and let's look at that. 1 John 4 drives home this point, right, when uh, he says that whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. So you cannot say, I love God and have hatred it's saying that not compatible your profession is not true right Um, you see this in another place in the parable of the two sons as Jesus told right Uh, in fact you would say that it makes the point that when what you say and what you do does not line up then you just what you know what you do just might actually have a bit more weight okay let me tell the story The story goes like this, right? A man has two sons. Um, Yeah, how do I? Oh, okay. A man has two sons and a vineyard. And so he asks his sons, please go and work in the vineyard, right? And so the first son says, no, I won't go. But later on, he changes his mind and he goes to the vineyard and he works. Now the second son says, okay, I'll go but he doesn't go. So the question Jesus asks is, which of the sons did the will of the father? The first son. Even though he said, no, I don't want to go, right? But he did. He actually did it. And so, you know, the first son is the one that did the will. And I think that we instinctively know this, right? That's why we have sayings like this, that actions speak louder than words. You see the case I'm building up, right? It's another thing that we say is like what? Talk is cheap. You can talk, 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 talk. But I mean, very easy, just say open your mouth and say only, right? But if you want to prove what, you know, you're saying is true, then we tell you put your money where your mouth is. In other words, show. Don't just say, right? And... I hope this has given you kind of like an idea to think about, you know, faith, works, actions, and beliefs. Okay? But to wrap up, I'm going to give you an analogy. Here. Then we can close. So imagine a boy and a girl. Okay? Imagine now that the boy loves the girl. Or rather, he says that he loves the girl. Uh, he even believes with his whole heart that he loves the girl. Okay? But he never does anything to show that he loves the girl. So he um, doesn't call her, doesn't spend time with her, doesn't ask her, oh, what do you like to do? Or oh, what are the things that you know you 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 don't like, you know, find out you know what, what she's like, what she doesn't like, what her hobbies are, you know, doesn't um, take her out, spend time with her, doesn't uh, when her birthday comes, <laughs> doesn't do anything, you know, doesn't wish her happy birthday, doesn't buy her a present, you know. When he goes and buys food, right? <laughs> Very real, <huh? laughs> Okay, but, you know, like, even more like, he, he goes and buys food for dinner, uh, for himself, right? He just buys for himself, lah. Like. He doesn't buy for her, one. It's like, it's almost as if she doesn't exist. Like. But you must understand, uh, every day he tells her, oh, I really love you, you know, I love you my whole heart, you know, uh, I love you so much, I really believe it. like you, you're, you're, you know, I love you so much. What will you say? Like? You tell the girl, hey, please, uh, please break up with this guy, right? <laughs> like, like, it's nonsense. It doesn't make sense, right? And I think we can agree that unless he shows that he loves the girl, his professions and his beliefs are useless. That's what James says, right? Faith without works is dead. Useless, worthless Now Imagine the girl is God Okay And the boy is a Christian Okay, and so you can say that Oh God, I love you God, I belong to you God, you know, I worship you You are the one true and living God You know, you are my Lord and my Savior And we do, we say this all the time, right But Our actions do not show that You know And so we don't spend time with God. When God tries to talk to us, we're playing on our handphones, you know. (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) Wow, that (laughs) hit. I I didn't plan that, okay, that was spontaneous. (laughs) You know, um, when God gives us, you know, his Bible to show us what he is like, what he likes, what he dislikes, you know his character, we don't read it, you know we treat it as unimportant um when God wants to meet us in church, he wants to sh- to show us what he is like through his body and all, we don't come because we go like, "I am lazy, not important." I think past a certain point right you when the gap between uh, what we profess and you know, we need to ask ourselves uh, at what point or how much of a mismatch can there be between what I say and what I do before I before you have to stop and ask yourself is my profession of faith meaningless? Okay? And I hope that that gives us something to think about and reflect on. But Let's come back to Peter and Cornelius. Okay? So now we've learned from God's interaction with Cornelius that one way we can love God is by living well. And I will say this, like, we're not doing this to earn his approval. We're not doing this to earn our salvation. But as I framed it right, if by doing good, living right is a way of professing, of showing that we love him. And you can see actually through Cornelius' life that even Cornelius, even though he might have known everything, he was in the way that he knew how to, in the, in, 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 um, in, in the way that he knew how to, he was loving God in his own way. And God had a response. I'll say this, God always has a response the way that any lover would, you know. When someone shows that they care about you, and someone shows that they love you, there's always a response, and we can see that, right? And so i say this, like, can we learn to be like Cornelius and have that? And let's also talk about Peter. You know, Peter goes through quite a journey. You must understand, I explained to you, right, that Peter was raised Jewish. He was raised being told that, um, he was, he was raised all his life you know, about separation between the Gentiles and Jews. You know, this is what uh, we don't associate. Um, this is our way of life. Um, but when God comes in and shows that he wants to do something different, Peter was able to accept that. And that's not an easy thing. Can you imagine if you kind of like grow up thinking and believing one thing all your life, and then an encounter with God comes and tells you, No, there's a different way. Can we be like Peter and be humble and soft enough to accept it? You know, when Peter says, Now I know that God does not show favoritism, you know, it says that God is not concerned about labels and exteriors. You know, He does not have a favorite race, He does not prefer men over women, He does not welcome rich people more than poor. You know, we are equal can we learn to look at our own kind of like our own prejudices and replace them with the way god sees and so in closing i would say that we need to be sensitive to his spirit and adaptable you know when god is moving when he's working we need to be humble enough to let god be god Instead of insisting that God has to fit into our our own ideas about what He's supposed to be like and what, he, what he's supposed to do, and I think that's why a um, worship set actually uh, was so relevant. The second song we talked about love, right? You know we will love God with all our heart and this the the third song, which is uh, something I asked the worship team to come up and then we can we can. Sing it, the chorus. Do you all remember? Oh sorry, the bridge. Do you all remember what the bridge says, right? We ask God to shake up the ground of our traditions, our, our beliefs, you know, break down the walls of our religion. But we say that His way is better. And we are humble enough and willing enough to just make room for God to do whatever He wants, to, to let God be God. So I'm going to ask the worship team To lead us in this song I'm going to ask Pastor Fergus to come up uh, And close us um, And let's just press into this truth And allow God To work in your hearts And to be sensitive To how He's leading and drawing you okay, Worship team, you can
0: Come, let's, let's Let's rise, let's rise Hallelujah, shake up the ground Let's allow the truth of God's word to just rest in your heart right now. And even as a song rises from your heart to your lips, just just remember all the shaking up of ground that had to take place so that the gospel can reach out and touch a man like Cornelius. Let's just lift up our voices right now and say. Shake up the ground on all my tradition. Break
2: down the walls of all my religion. You're always better. Lord, shake up my ground. Shake up the ground on all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. You're always better. you always better. Your ways better. Your ways better. Sing up the ground Of all my tradition Break down the walls Of all my religion You always there. us Jesus it right now to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to I will what you want to do whatever you want to do to do whatever, whatever you want to do. I will make room I will make room you come Jesus to do whatever you want do what you want whatever you want
0: no church to pray for some of you on this morning. Two groups of you, I want to to minister with you before our God. There are some of you here, you know someone who is like a Cornelius. They may have never come into church. They've never said the sinner's prayer. By the way, nobody in this story ever said a formal sinner's prayer there was no altar call moment there was no hand raised up there was no pastor to say i see your hand i see your hand there was no formal salvation and yet we all know that god sent peter there to speak about jesus to share the gospel Holy Spirit comes, confirms the salvation of the people there and they all come into eternal life. If you know someone who is like a Cornelius, in your heart of hearts, you have told yourself, they are so close. They are so close to God. They have never formally said the sinner's prayer. They have never come into church, lifted up their hand to say yes to Jesus. They have never made that decision. But you know that they have lived a righteous life. You know that they know they, in whatever way they know how to, they long to love God the best way they know how. They may even live a more upright life than some other Christians that you know. And you're praying for them. Right now, We want to make room for prayers for our friends and our loved ones who are in this category. That God will meet them. God will draw them close to Him. That God will hear their cries. When they cry for help, God will hear. Even as God heard the cries and the prayers of Cornelius, even as the alms that Cornelius gave, his good deeds rose up as a memorial offering before God. Do you believe that this loved one of yours, that this friend of yours, that this family member of yours, that their prayers and their good works, even though not done within our typical boundaries of what a Christian understands is a Christian way, do you believe that these things rise up to God? That God hears their prayers? That God sees their best efforts to love Him and God can honour them? That in this situation, God can say, I'm going to send a Peter to them? that I'm going to draw them close to me, I'm going to draw myself close to them. Let's pray for our friends, family, loved ones who are in this category. Father, we thank You, Lord God. Father, we bring our loved ones before You. Lord Jesus, You have seen their life. They've lived piously. They've They've done the best they know how to. And even in some respects, I can say, so well done in the best efforts they know how to do. So well done. And for some of them, Lord, I just want to say, Lord, they are so close to You. Lord, I long for them to know that Jesus is real. And if their cry or if their prayer is, Lord, I want to see that You are real. Lord, we pray that You will show them in ways that they can understand that You are indeed real. If they are praying for an encounter with the one true god and they may not know the name of this god they may not have all the all all the christianized ideas about this god but they are seeking lord jesus i pray that you will show yourself real to them lord jesus today we are here to pray and stand in the gap and we are saying lord jesus draw yourself near to them draw them near to yourself and use us as your church. Send even I. Send me, Lord, as your Peter to reveal your love, to share about Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his lordship. Or if I'm the wrong person, Lord, I pray you send someone else. You send someone who would be the right messenger. But Lord, do not leave them just as they are. They are already so close to You. Today, Lord Jesus, I stand before You and plead for my loved one, for my friend, for my spouse, for my children, for my family. Lord Jesus, hear. You hear their prayers, You hear our prayers and we know, Lord God, that You are a God whose heart is drawn to those who do their best to honour You. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing these prayers. I want to minister to another group among you. If you find in your heart a dividing wall of hostility, if there is a wall separating you, for some of you, it might be a people group. You may have been raised up to see people by race and it's still... It's still there. You may have been raised up in a community that made racist jokes. And it's still quite normal for you to make fun of your neighbours based on their stereotypes. You may have been personally hurt. You may have had opportunities in school, opportunities in 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 universities, opportunities at work, curtailed and cut short and limited because you were born into the wrong colour. You may have been harassed on the streets, you may have been disturbed by people, you may have been jeered and mocked at and teased because of your skin colour, because of your eye shape, because of how you are and because of that, You've grown a prejudice against a group of people. It has become a dividing wall of hostility. And no matter how many times you come to church, you still carry this barrier between you and that someone else. And you can't step into the fullness of fellowship in King Jesus because you still have walls in your heart. If that is you, I want to minister with you on this morning. We want to pray together into this situation. But not before one more group it may not be a group of people. It may not be a racial thing. It might just be that between brother and brother, sister and sister, between sisters and brothers in the house of God, there are dividing walls of hostility. Maybe not here in Sungai Bulo Church. Maybe in Sungai Bulo Church. Maybe not. Maybe you are here because in some ways you had to leave uh, your previous church because you have left behind also their unresolved conflicts or maybe it's not a church thing but it was with a fellow Christian and there are dividing walls of hostility between you and someone else especially if it is a fellow Christian brother a fellow Christian sister and you are holding on to it you will not let go until today you can't let go I can tell you this I can tell you this the Lord says you can let go you can let go because I help you let go and I am better. He says, my way is better. He says, if you don't forgive your brother or your sister, neither shall your sins be forgiven. He says, before you go on your way to worship, if you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, and I'll flip this too, if you hold something against your brother or your sister, then stop go and be reconciled first. Because there is no room. There is no room in the atmosphere of worship for spears, for swords, for vengeance, for retaliation, for hitting back at one another. God says, I will turn every spear into A pruning hook I will beat every sword Into a plowshare So that every instrument That we used to use as, As weapons of harming one another God turns it into instruments Of harvest and fruitfulness This is what it means When we sing Your way is better Your way is better Is there room in your heart today To bring down dividing walls of hostility Between one another Father, we pray into this right now. Lord Jesus, we know it's not easy. Lord Jesus, we know that these things come into the very parts of our hearts where it is most painful because I was wounded. They hurt me. Father, I bring my own heart before You. I bring my own hurt before You. And and, and when I do this, Lord God, I'm saying before you that, Lord, on some level, they don't matter. I just want to be right with you. I want to be right with you. And if you say, if you say that you want to bring down every dividing wall of hostility, then I stand before you soft, willing, humble enough to say that, Lord, your way is better, I will abide your way is better, I will obey. So friend, if that is you on this morning, I'm praying together with you and saying this. Let's say this together. You don't have to say it out loud, but say it in your spirit. Lord Jesus, I surrender. Lord, you don't know how hard it is for me to surrender, but today I'm reaching this place where I just want to say, your ways are better and I concede to you. I'm not conceding to someone else, I'm conceding to you. And I'm laying down my right to fight. I'm laying down my zeal. I'm laying down my zeal to fight back. I'm laying down all of these things. Even if I thought I was right, I'm laying it down because I want to say that when you say my, my dividing walls of hostility not just keep the brother or sister out, it keeps you out. Lord, when I hear this, I know I've gone too far. I know this takes me to the very edge of what I can tolerate. I cannot tolerate being separated from you. I will not be separated from you. I've managed most of my life being separated from brother or sister, but I will not be separated from you. Today, I want to close the gap. Today, I want to break down the walls. If that is you, the Lord is with you right now and if you thought it's impossible it's because on your own it is impossible but by the power of the holy spirit he comes and he really does tear down these dividing walls and he brings sister back to sister brother back to brother and he heals broken relationships now you don't have to be the best friends again i know i live through this myself you don't have to be the best friends again. But when you say yes to Jesus, He comes in and He restores something primal deep inside you. Hallelujah. You know, church, I'm going to close. But I just have one idea to leave with you. And it's an idea I had to wrestle with this week as well. Because I also had to tear down some walls this week. And the idea is this, the fear of God. Do you fear God? Do I fear God? Because when God says, uh, and you fight with Him, uh, you don't fear God. And my prayer right now is that every one of us, when you reach the point where God says, you've heard, the fear of God takes over. The fear of God takes over. And we won't be so hardened. As to stand up against him and fight some more wag our hands at him some more no we reach a point we say yes and every single christian has to reach a point you'll come to the edge you will quite quite back down and say god i fear you enough i won't fight this is where i lay it down every lie every doubt every burden every crown i laid down As the Lord continues to minister to you, I want to invite Thalia to pray and to pray to close this service. Amen.
1: Thank you,
0: Lord.
1: Heavenly Father, we come under your authority and we submit ourselves to you. We submit our whole minds, our bodies, our spirits, Lord, to you. And Father, we say that you are Lord and when we confess that, when we say, when we proclaim that you are Lord, what it means, Lord, is that we obey you. And when you say something, we will do it Father, we pray that you would help us be people Where our actions and our words are in alignment with you With the things that you want With the things that you call us to do And Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us to do The hard and the difficult things Things that we cannot do on our own strength, Lord We know that you are with us in this That we are not doing this on our own efforts We're not doing this on our own But that we have you To accompany us and to guide us, Lord And we are so grateful for that, Lord We love you, Lord So we just pray Seal the work that you have done in our hearts, Lord And separate us now, Lord With your blessing Bring us back together again For the privilege of worshipping and fellowshipping With your people In Jesus' name we all pray Amen Amen